uh, a conversation that Adam and And God said, that's easy, so that she will love you. <laughs> so that she would love you. Now, most of us think, most of us think that we're very, very easy people to love, right? Most of us think that we're very, very easy people to love. But I want to suggest to you that at times, that we're more like a porcupine than a teddy bear. We're more like a, a porcupine than a teddy bear. In all seriousness, I'm serious now. In the last few years, okay, my battery's gone. <laughs> my get up and go is gone. <laughs> uh oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to be serious. <laughs> I gotta stay right here, okay. In all seriousness, wherever I've gone, I, I'm not joking. Wherever I've gone, uh, no matter the geographical area, no matter the church denomination, no matter the church situation, there seems to be a, a, a appearing, especially the last number of years, a lack of what I call civility toward other people. A, a lack of getting along with people who often are different, different than we are, who have different opinions and different perspectives than we have. And it's a real problem. And we're talking about in the community, and we're talking about in churches of all kinds of different denominations and stripes, so to speak. I want you to go back to that particular passage of Scripture that Pastor Brad read in John chapter 17. Hold your finger here at 1 Corinthians and flip over to John chapter 17. And in Jesus' high priestly prayer, in those verses that he got through reading, in verses specifically, in verses 20 through 23, this is what Jesus was saying in my paraphrase. You see, I believe he was saying that we live in such a disunified, dog-eat-dog type of world, stab-you-in-the-back type of world, that when people genuinely love one another, genuinely in a Christian way, go beyond lip service and accept others' idiosyncratic ways, and when they graciously forgive other people in a Christian manner, in Christian love, the world takes note of that. The world stands up and they say, wow, there must be something going on there. They must be Christian people, and it attracts people to Jesus, and it attracts people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Conversely, Jesus was saying, those individuals and those people who cause disunity and are dysfunctional and can't get along with other people, they are a major roadblock, a major wall to people coming to the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I believe that Jesus was indicating this, that real unity and oneness and genuine love draws people and the opposite is true. The opposite is true. As Christian people, now let me just let me just digress even further here. Really, I, I don't think the pressing problem is for people to know more theology. The pressing problem is not people to know more doctrine. Doctrine. What good does it do to know the Bible forwards and backwards and to do all of these Bible studies if we can't treat one another in Christian love? and accept the idiosyncratic ways of other individuals and other people. Now, this is the message that the Apostle Paul addresses. This is the subject that he addresses in 1 Corinthians. And it reaches such a crescendo level that it, later on we'll, we'll look at it, and we'll see in a number of chapters later that he says, your meetings, your meetings together cause more harm than good. And it comes to a head in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where he basically says you can have all of these wonderful spiritual gifts and you can have faith to remove mountains but if you don't have genuine love for other people it is zilch, it's zero it doesn't matter to, uh, um, uh, to a hill of being so to speak this is an important message how to get along with people they're a little, they're a lot different than we are. And I find that this has been happening all the way down through church history, unfortunately, to the present. Did you know at the turn of the century that a man by the name of Phyllis Brzee, one of the founders of the Church of the Nazarene, a, a, a beautiful pastor, uh, an expositor of God's word, an evangelist, God used him tremendously. Wherever he went, he won lots of people to Christ and had tremendous revivals. And this is what he wrote once in his journal. And I want you to listen to it. I found it so challenging and comforting at the same time. This is what he wrote. A quarter of the congregation seems to be always angry and upset at me in this particular pastor he was in for something. A quarter of the people of the congregation seem to be always angry and upset with me for something, but not the same quarter as they take turns. <laughs> and we live in an age where people have a hard time getting along with other people, just getting along with other people who are different. And this is what the Apostle Paul addresses. It's been a problem down through church history even to the present. Uh, with all other uh, churches and pastors I'm familiar with and other geographical areas. Well, let me set the scene uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning for you. The Apostle Paul, it's in the early, i got to stay right here. The Apostle Paul is in the early 50s A.D. He had visited Corinth. He had visited Corinth, which is modern-day Greece today. Modern-day Greece today. 
and he had preached in a number of Jewish synagogues there. He had witnessed both Jewish people and Gentiles in this 18-month period that he is a tent maker. He had, he had witnessed a number of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And these were happy and fulfilling days, these 18 months with Apostle Paul, when he was helping establish the church in Corinth. But a short while after he left, that church began to have problems internally with one another. They began to have problems with one another. And the Apostle Paul, as a result of that, wrote several letters, and we have at least two of those letters in First and Second Corinthians, dealing primarily with relationships in the church that had gone bad. And the Corinthian church, unfortunately, was filled full of people that were different. They had different backgrounds. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? Well, they had people that were Orthodox Jewish people, they had people that were Hellenistic Jew, Jewish people, and they had people that were pagans and Gentiles. They had worshipped idols. And they had people of all different ages, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. Now, when I say this, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but this is an example. This is a metaphor for what was happening in the background that was going on there. Can you imagine the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the NRA, the National Riflemen's Association, merging together under one common purpose? That's the diversity that we see in the New Testament church, especially in Corinthians. People of diversity. All of these backgrounds, all of these experiences, all of these different opinions. And it's no wonder that as soon as the Apostle Paul left, they begin to have quarrels and arguments, and they begin to have problems with one another. Look at First uh, Corinthians chapter... 1, verse 10 with me this morning. Notice, first of all, here's the Apostle Paul. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, that there will be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. The first thing I want you to know is, is that word appeal. And if you... Look at the original. He's really saying, I, I beg you. I come before you with my heart open and I come before you with my heart bare. I appeal to you as brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you as a familiar family term. Brothers, sisters, I plead with you. I make the strongest case I can possible. And he didn't come to them with the tone of authority because I'm the pastor, because I'm the apostle, because I'm the man of the hour, because I'm the one that helped establish his church. He doesn't make that kind of tone and that kind of case whatsoever. He says, I appeal to you as brothers and sisters. Would you? Would you do this? Would you do these things? The context tells us that he's saying, would you love one another? Would you accept one another? Would you go the extra mile for one another? Would you forgive one another? Would you do these things? Not because I'm living it over you. How many of you as parents have ever said, because 
I'm your boss. And I suppose that's okay at times, but the Apostle Paul doesn't do that here. He's pleading with them. His tone is one of compassion. His tone is one of tenderness. He wants them to understand that what they're doing is destroying the church. Destroying the church and the gospel witness of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that his appeal is expressed in two different ways. It's expressed in two different ways. First, he says, I want you to focus on what creates unity. Second, I want you to discard what creates disunity. Very simple. Focus on what creates unity, and I want you to discard what creates disunity. And I want you to notice what he specifically says. The second part of verse 10. That all of you, notice, that all of you agree with one another. Is it, is it possible for Christian people to agree with one another? Is it possible for people to have the same kind of understanding and idea about something? Yes, it is. Well, what are we to agree about? It all centers around Jesus. Let me say that again. It all centers around Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Now, the second part of this pill, as I said, is, is that we're to discard, we're to do away with things that cause disunity. We're to focus on things that cause unity and do away with things that cause disunity. What I consider the non-essentials, or we might say the acts of the sinful nature that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. Notice the third part of verse 10. So that there will be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. On the same page as one another. United in mind and thought. I want you to listen to a corollary passage of Scripture. This is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And Romans 14, 19 says, Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual encouragement. Now listen. I believe from this particular passage of Scripture, from those verses that we got from reading, and a number, a bunch of other verses in the Bible that says, that basically says, that anything that causes disunity, anytime you stir up dissension and you get one church member or one church attender mad at another, it's sin. Be it an attitude or be it an action. This is how serious the Bible takes this particular subject. What's the Apostle Paul saying, Pastor Ron? Put it all together. This is what he's saying. For Jesus' sake, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to go the extra mile. I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to forgive when it's difficult to forgive. I want you to accept people and their idiosyncratic ways. I want you to love them despite their unloveliness. And I want you to show them grace. Not because I'm your Lord. Not because I'm your pastor. Not because I'm the apostle. But because this is what God wants for his church. 
This is the norm. All that other stuff is not the norm. Now, I want you to note number three here. Biblical unity is not uniformity. Biblical unity is not uniformity. You see, there are some churches that believe and teach that everybody has to be out of the same cookie-cutter mold, that we all have to look alike, we all have to dress alike, we all have to think alike about non-essential things. Did you know that? You have to all dress alike and look alike. There are churches out there that teach that. This is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that unity is not based upon uniformity. And I'm so glad that the Lord has given us... uh, It would be boring in this world if we were all vanilla. I I like Baskin-Robbins. I like the 31 flavors of the entire world. And this means that we all... Look around this room this morning. We all don't have the same hairstyle. We don't have the all same hair, hair, uh, hair color. We don't all wear the same kind of clothes. We, uh, we, some of us choose. We choose to send our kids to public school. Others of us choose to homeschool our kids. We, we vote according to our conscience. Nobody dictates to us how we're going to vote. And so... The color of the carpet in this sanctuary. If I were to take a poll this morning, some of you would, some of you would say, well, I like the color of the carpet in this sanctuary. Others of you would say, well, I don't like the color of the carpet in this sanctuary. And some of you, most of you would say, I don't care. Who gives a rip? And so we have all of these peripheral, non-essential issues that often people get in arguments and fights over. And... Uh, and you look around and we have all of this diversity. And so unity, church unity, is not uniformity. We can have opinions and we should be able to share our opinions just as long as we do it in a Christian way. Amen? Amen. Choose to agree disagreeably. No, that's all right. Choose to... What did I really mean to say? Choose to what? Do choose to disagree agreeably. Not agreeably, disagree. <laughs> Come on now. I, I, but notice, but, but, but what happens? What happens when people instead quarrel and argue over non-essential things? What happens? I want you to notice what happens. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me this morning. Notice. I appeal to you, brothers, verse 10, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there will be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Verse 11. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another says, I follow Christ. I follow the Lord. Paul says, you're arguing about church leaders. They were arguing about church leaders. One person in the church said, I prefer this leader. And another one said, well, I prefer this leader. And still another one said, well, I follow this leader. Unfortunately, they were using human evaluations human evaluations, and they were saying things like, well, Jed, Jed is a great leader. 
because he looks good and because he speaks well and because he's tall and because he's handsome and because he comes from the right family. No, no, no. My leader, Tom, he is the guy, you know. He's one of the boys because he dresses like us. He's got the slang. He makes everyone feel comfortable. He's a man's man. No, 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 Tom, uh, uh, Fred's, uh, uh, Bonnie is the guy. Bonnie, he's funny. He tells the way it is. He takes the time to be with you over coffee and donuts. Now, let me digress. Biblically speaking, church leadership is not based upon such silly cultural things. It's not. It's not based upon how a person dresses. It's not based upon their personality. It's not based upon these peripheral issues. These are secondary issues. Rather, the Apostle Paul talks about the marks of maturity for leadership in Timothy and Titus and elsewhere in the Bible. But the Apostle Paul is trying to make a point. He's trying to drive it home. While people are quarreling and arguing over such external things, over how a leader should dress or talk or how they should look or over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary or whether or not there's an organ or piano or whether or not we sing hymns or choruses, Jesus is being left out. He's being left out. And Paul says in verse 13, Is Christ divided? It's a rhetorical question. If he is divided, he should not be divided over such silly uh, things and um, secondary issues. So Paul is saying, don't get so caught up in quarreling and arguing about the color of the carpet or whether or not we have a piano or organ or what the pastor wears or what he doesn't wear or his hairstyle, that you miss out on the essential thing, which is Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, all church unity is centered on the person of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've heard the illustration, I'm sure, before, but you have a room full of pianos. A whole room full of pianos. They're out of tune. And there is one instrument that tunes every single piano. One instrument that can be used to get every single piano in tune with all the others. And that is a tuning fork. And Jesus makes everybody equal. And because of our Christian faith, he brings unity out of disunity. And he reminds us, the gospel reminds us that we are to treat one another the way he wants us to treat one another. Not how I want to treat others. Not how you want to treat others. But we are to treat each other the Christian way. We are to take the high road with people and individuals. Let me digress. Every single church I've ever pastored, every single church I've ever pastored, it seems like I always have at least one individual one individual, and this happened a number of years ago, but we had one individual that was on like a steamroller. They loved the Lord, and they loved getting things done, but in order to get things done, they just rolled over people. Rolled over people. 
causing all kinds of problems and dissension along the way and getting people uh, mad at one another. And finally, I had that conversation. And to their credit, they begin to change. It's important not to steamroll over people. It's important, as we express our opinions, that we do it with civility and we do it in a Christian way. It's important to go the extra mile with people. Now, when I say idiosyncratic ways, what am I talking about? I'm not talking about sin. You don't accept willful sin in other people. But I'm talking about idiosyncratic ways where people sometimes are really loud and they drive you crazy. Have you ever been around a person that talks so loud it hurts your ears? Or an individual that bites their fingernails or I started to say bite their toenails, but I don't know, it's not true. Or a person that maybe has a little B.O. at times. Or that may be just a little not right in the head. These are idiosyncratic things. Or um, the, the strangest thing I've heard here of late is putting peanut butter on your hamburger patty, Pastor Brad. <laughs> that's okay. I, I like peanut butter on pancakes, so I don't know if that's that worse or not. But I mean, this is just being funny. So the beginning of all church unity centers on Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, to their, to their credit, this person, after talking with them, began to change. And thank God they did, because they didn't even realize that they were causing so much disunity and, and creating so much uh, people getting mad at one another. You, you say, I don't like that person. I just don't like that person. You say, I just don't like what they do. You, you say, I'm having a hard time with it. I'm having a hard time with forgiving another person. And I, I find this is very common among Christian people. We profess Jesus Christ as our Savior. We know what the Bible says. But when it comes down to a bear attacks, when it comes down where the rubber meets the road, we have a difficult time forgiving people that hurt us. Is that true? We have a difficult time. And yet we know what the Bible says. And often there's a disconnect and there's some sort of excuse for that. No excuses. No excuses. Because this is what the scripture says right here. I want you to notice the second part of, of verse 17. We're to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Did you know that when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, did you know that you not only receive salvation, but you receive the power to do what God wants you to do, and that means to forgive even your enemies? In just a moment, we're going to have communion. We have an open communion table. You don't have to be a member of our church. As the emblems are passed, here of late, we've been asking that you take both, both emblems at once. Hopefully that's not too much of a juggle for you. We've got those little holes 
in front of you behind those tiers that maybe you could put your cup in and then pass it on. I'm not sure how you do it, but... But before we take partake of communion, we say this every single time. We say, examine yourself. Examine yourself. What does that mean? You want to make sure that you have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ before you partake of communion? Confess all of those known sins to Him if you haven't had a chance to confess. 